Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk tech, games, uh, unfortunately too much Elon Musk, but we're, we're, <laughs> we're on a diet um, uh, starting from next week. Um, tonight on the show, uh, it is Lily. Uh, good to have you in. How's your uh, week in tech been? Not too bad. A little bit uh, up and down. Interesting news, which we're going to get to in a minute, but uh, yeah, definitely been stuff to remember in there. <laughs> Uh, Paul is also in tonight. Paul, has technology been kind to you this Te- week? Technology has been neutral to me this week, <laughs> so neither good nor bad. Tech doesn't kill people. People, people with, tech with tech kill people. I don't know. Yeah. Or are nice to people. That's like, true. Yeah. This is getting pretty lengthy for the bumper sticker, but let's go with it. <laughs> uh, I'll be with you also as well. My name's Warren. Um, it is a fun show tonight. Um, you've probably had a, a go at putting something on Fancy Lay-By by now or, or by now Pay Later as it's become. Um, if, you're, if you've not... Uh, you've probably heard about it. Um, local legends like uh, Afterpay have been sort of one of the darlings of global fintech for years. Um, but a, a host of write-downs across the sector rising from tricky investor conditions, stuff to do with Putin, bad debts, rising costs, um, as seen uh, BNPLs struggling in recent months. So we'll be joined by uh, choice journalist uh, Johnny Blakali uh, in a few minutes uh, to ask uh, what exactly is going on here. Uh, and also, uh, Mobile Master returns this year, um, and there is a, a film festival in tow, uh, which is interesting. So uh, how does that work? Um, do hang around for uh, Spiro Carlos, who is the chief musterer uh, over there. And uh, yeah, he'll mosey on in for a chat on the show uh, a little bit later. But before then, uh, there is news. Uh, Lily, let's let's attack it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one, this first piece goes out probably really directly and more directly than some of our other things to people who have ever studied at Deakin, which is probably a lot of you uh, around these parts. Um, So Deakin University had a data breach this week, which has been pretty disastrous. Um, Details of 46,980 current and past Deakin students were downloaded by some attackers who breached a third-party supplier of theirs, which is, that's a lot um, and the details in it were like uh, student names, student IDs, mobile numbers, uh, their Deakin email addresses, and importantly, special comments, which had things like their grades in it. So that, uh, yeah, not not great. Um, special comments like how they did and stuff like, like yeah. literally teacher comments and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, literally teacher comments. Some of that stuff gets quite sensitive sometimes too, so pretty creepy to think of it out there in the hands of people with not great motives. But they have, uh, whoever's... Stolen This has started using it, too. Um, over the weekend, I think about 10,000 people nearly got text messages um, due to the data that had been stolen out of this stuff. And um, Your library book is overdue, and please bring it back. <laughs> yeah, please click this link. You know, strike fear into the hearts of all. But um, Deacon have issued advice about this as well, which is generally good advice for if you've had stuff in a data breach. But be aware for any phishing messages that you're getting, anything that you think is targeting you, scam SMSs, this kind of stuff, because what happens is when you get this data out there, usually ends up being sold to other people who will also use the data for lots of stuff. So just be mindful. 
if anybody's asking you for any particular details or asking you to click on stuff and you're not expecting it, either, you know, in your email, SMS, whatever, don't click on the link. Double check with that. And you can also get a, uh, check your credit reports too because uh, this is the kind of info that they use for identity theft mm. a lot of the time, which is pretty scary. You've already graduated, so you don't need to buy a special gown and uh, <laughs> mortar and so forth. Um, yeah. Oh, and change your Deacon password if you're still there. Good idea. Um, was there any information on, on sort of how it actually happened, or is that still kind of unfolding? I feel like that's still unfolding. Most of the most of the information so far has been about what happened and what you need to do about it rather than the how, but I'm pretty sure that'll be forthcoming. Deacon's actually been pretty good and transparent about it so far. They're working with the Australian Information Commissioner and doing all the right stuff, which is great. So, yeah, anyone who's ever been at Deacon, just keep an eye out. Uh, Paul, I I, uh, I feel like going into the Apple news here. We need uh, was it Chuck who used to do the Apple Crunch? Um, going back on the show, I forget. Um, that's, that's a segue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have apples, but we have news. It was good. It was a well built. Um, yeah. So for those of you who are uh, users of Apple products, this may or may not be good news for you. Um, Apple and uh, X Design Chief uh, Johnny Ive have officially parted ways. And for good, this was reported um, first in the New York Times recently. Um, so Johnny joined Apple in 1992. So this is the end of a 30-year relationship. Um, but he left Apple properly in 2019 to form uh, his own company called Love From, which still included Apple uh, as their primary client. Um, that was a $100 million multi-year contract. Um, but prohibited love from from working on any products that could have been considered a competitor to Apple. And as we all know, Apple make everything from little air tags through headphones to computers to phones to tablets, uh, televisions, um, services, uh, TV shows, and probably cars. So if you're a design company and you're like prohibited from working on stuff, there's maybe not uh, a huge amount left. So I think there was perhaps some tension at the exec level. Um, and I know a lot of um, Apple's designers were leaving to sort of join Johnny's company. So is it a good thing? It's 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 hard to tell. But, you know, it's been three years. It's been 30 years for Johnny. So um, time to go. I can kind of imagine the Jim Jarmusch kind of like <laughs> film of this where he leaves Apple to go to another very white building to look at next much door. the same screens yeah, next door. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping that we get a, that kind of renaissance of transparent plastic technology coming back because it was him doing, doing all the multicolor Max and stuff, right, Johnny Ive? That That's was his the thing. That's the one. Um, if he's freed up to do other stuff for other companies, bring it back. Just everything transparent plastic. Transparent colored plastic. We need more of it. Everything's kind of like chrome or white or <laughs> black. You know, where's the color? We need more of it. Maybe like sugarcane, maybe not plastic. Some kind of processed natural thing. Yeah, Johnny. love that. How, Something that'll melt in the rain. <laughs> how close are we retro-wise? Like if, you know, retro's getting closer, so eventually we will end up back there fashion-wise, fashion tech-wise. Yeah, it was what, 2000, 2004? We're, we're getting there. It's 20 years. I look, I look forward to, mm, to that. We did also look back in history on something else with the a telescope. Speaking of going back in time and, <laughs> and planned obsolescence, which is the segue, uh, I think... Uh, for those of you who have been watching, uh, the new James Webb Space Telescope, which is NASA's uh, huge replacement 
um, for Hubble has looked deeper into the universe um, than than ever before. There is an amazing quote um, for those of you who've seen the image, um, which is on the the NASA.gov website, which is the the Webb's image, which uh, President Joe Biden unveiled uh, this week, um, covers a patch of sky approximately the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length by someone on the ground um, and reveals thousands of galaxies and a tiny sliver of of the universe. but is apparently uh, how it appeared 4.6 billion years ago. So those of you uh, looking at that image, uh, that that's where you're looking at. Um, the the incredible press release um, that accompanied this image is ta- talking about what this reveals. Different colors reveal different ages, and they're basically leveraging the infrared and the amount of dust you know, to kind of build this picture of galaxies uh, and which of these they expect can can support life. It is significantly deeper. It's significantly more complex um, telescope than, than Hubble ever was. It makes me, I was talking to someone today and they were like kind of feeling sad for Hubble because they're like, Aww. you've given us so much, Hubble. And now, now the new the new telescope on the block has come along and we're all like, ooh, shiny. Um <laughs> But um, incredible technology. I know we talk a lot on this show, but kind of, you know, our Elon Musk's and the kind of the the darker side of, of the tech. But seeing things like this and peering into the past and the universe, um, yeah, it's kind of yeah the, the amazing part of, of, of what we do in this show and, and talk about, yeah. It's it's very strange to think. I, I did read somewhere, and it may not be correct, that um, you can look at galaxies that are up to 13 billion years old. Um very old. Anyway, to actually be a species that was not even faintly on the roadmap, the tech roadmap, <laughs> to be able to look back and go, hey, look at that thing. It, it really is quite a uh, circuitous kind of like mental calculation to make. Yeah, it's phenomenal. I'm just thinking about all the people who are doing those star registry things where you can name a star <laughs> after yourself. Like, just giving them a new lease on life. It's wonderful. <laughs> Do you want to buy a whole galaxy? Because yeah. there's a lot of them out there, and we know that for sure now. All that real estate. <laughs> um, well, you, you have um, also kind of um, clocked uh, a, an interesting perspective on, on some new innovation. Um, there was some stuff going down at a games conference, I think. Yeah, this was in Brazil. Uh, this this really made my day when I read this. So um guy giving a presentation at a conference. Uh, it was the International Games Conference in Brazil. Um gave his presentation, it was called The Future of Games, and did a real um, plot twist in the middle of it, which I loved, um, where he started to give his talk about the future of games, and part of the way into that um, revealed that his talk was actually uh, an anti-NFT rant, um, which he then went on to deliver in great detail. Um, It was pretty spectacular to watch. The video is up online, it's all in Portuguese, so if you know Portuguese, you'll probably get a lot more out of it, but... He's provided uh, English language translations of the slides and all of this kind of thing uh, so that you can get some of his points. And he actually, you know, it's not just a rant. It's it's quite a detailed uh, breakdown of, of his thoughts being a long-term game developer. But that that moment where he... Uh... <laughs> where he reveals the twist in his talk is really quite something, the audience reactions. And apparently some of the the conference sponsors were actually blockchain and Web3 companies that um, were trying to storm the <laughs> the room where it was taking place uh, to, to get it stopped, but uh, didn't in the end. Interesting, interesting. I feel like we're more tolerant of that kind of stuff here in Melbourne. I was just thinking about a 
design festival where the the chief designer of the festival got up and said we need to kill design and everyone kind of like cheers uproariously <laughs> and like yes a room full of designers agree um i don't know i mean what what, what do you think of the, the kind of thrust of it about this kind of you know weird muddying of kind of industries and so forth I'm broadly in agreement with uh, with the the theme of the talk. Honestly, I feel like, particularly when it comes to what's in games, um, most game developers that I know generally aren't don't really see any value in in mixing it up with with NFTs and crypto in that particular kind of way. Or there's no there's no utility. Mm. Um, and I think that this talk goes into a lot of how it speaks to a lot of what a lot of game developers are feeling about the topic that it will end up this transference or the idea that you could transfer items from one game to another, for example, uh, will end up making most games look and feel the same, mm. uh, which will take away a lot of the diversity that we have in mm. games at the moment. Uh, he's got a lot of other stuff too in this talk. It's really worth going and checking out um, the slides, the English language ones. They're linked off most of the reporting that's on this talk. Mm. Interesting. We'll, uh, we'll find a link to that and, uh, and get it out there on the, on the Twitters and, and in our show notes. Um, something I did just want to flag quickly that um, is kind of fun. Uh, NASA has released uh, Sounds of the Ocean, um, uh, which is great. Not the first kind of uh, crew to have a go at this, but um, it lets you tune into um, yeah, a variety of Sounds of the Ocean. And no seashore required. Um, they have um, uh, figured a way to, uh, I guess, merge um, uh, music and musical notes into um, patterns and rhythms um, uh, put forward by uh, colours um, gleaned from um, uh, currents uh, and major kind of events uh, in the ocean, I, I guess you would describe. So, so what's the sound of a Garfield telephone washing ashore? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, it's merging musical notes with ocean color data from swirls off the coast of, uh, Rio de la Plata, Bering Sea, Coral Sea, Indian Ocean off, off Northwestern Australia. Um, so yeah, um, studying ocean color according to NASA helps scientists gain a better understanding of, uh, phytoplankton and their impact on, on the earth system. So I don't know, I think NASA do a great job of, um, making tech, uh, tech and science really easy and accessible for, for people who struggle to kind of get their head around it. So, um, fully support the pressing of this album hopefully it comes out on on vinyl um who knows <laughs> i don't think nasa are that kind of ironic full, it's full of hipsters yeah i hope so with their tele so. with their telescopes yeah. and their and their vinyl bunch of nerds <laughs> this is a podcast from triple r an independent media organization in melbourne australia triple r is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding if you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. We are joined uh, on the show right now by uh, Johnny Blakali, who is a journalist with Choice and has been following the Buy Now Pay Later uh, rise and roller coaster and maybe fall. I don't know. I'm going to leave it to Johnny. Um, and Johnny's uh, with us now. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, people who don't know what a buy now pay later is, they might have uh, heard it kind of whispered on the train on the way into work or near the water cooler. Um, what are we talking about here? So buy now pay later providers are essentially uh, companies like Afterpay, Zip, Hum. These are companies that um, have set up a service which essentially you can make a purchase and they will pay. Usually, you pay a quarter of the purchase upfront. 
um, and you pay them back over well, usually around four instalments over a period of weeks. Um, so it's kind of uh, a short way of what is essentially a loan and is essentially a credit system. Um, they're setting it up so they, they pay the initial purchase price um, and you pay them back over a short period of time without interest, but um, there are other fees and, and things associated with it as well. And it's kind of been a, a bit of an Aussie thing. We've had a bit of a crack at this, I understand. Yeah, so Australia was really the kind of frontier of uh, buy now, pay later providers. Um, players like Afterpay and stuff have, have really gone around the world. And, and this is taking off in the US, taking off in Europe, taking off in other parts of the world. But Australia was really the kind of first place where we saw buy now, pay later providers emerge. And um, yeah, and, and also we're with, seeing with regulation there's still a space that is unregulated from, from the government side of things as well. Uh, Jeremy, that, like, was that um, that regulatory space, was that part of the impetus for Australia sort of leading the way in some of this? Or what, what was the trigger for us kind of um, being out in front of, of these buy now pay later programs? Yeah, I'm not sure if you can say it's exactly because of regulation or the lack of regulation, but um, for whatever reason, Australia really has been a global leader, I guess, in this space um, with these companies emerging here and then taking off overseas. Um, Australia uh, is kind of under the... Because the government's under the guise of the previous government wanting to promote innovation and, and promote fintechs, um, this space uh, remained unregulated and has remained unregulated for quite a while now, though the new government has come in and said that they will look at uh, putting some regulations in place for the buy now, pay later industry, which isn't captured under the credit laws. So if you go and get a credit card, you get a loan from a bank, there's certain checks and balances that need to be put in place. They have to do responsible lending checks. They have to check if you can actually repay the amount that you're, that you're borrowing, where buy now, pay later providers don't, don't have to do that. There is a voluntary code of conduct that some of them have signed up to, but in terms of when it comes to mandatory regulations around safe lending and things like that, they're not required to follow the same laws as any other kind of credit provider is, which which I think is quite quite troubling, particularly when we're talking about large sums of money. I mean, some by now pay ladies like Afterpay will put a say a two thousand or a three thousand dollar limit on you where other ones such as hum, you know, you can borrow up to up to thirty thousand dollars. So we're talking a lot of money here as well. How has it uh, how has it evolved in this space, uh, legally speaking? How are buy now pay later providers able to do this kind of thing when other credit providers aren't? Yeah. So um, because the credit, the way that the credit laws are structured, are around interest. So. Um, because buy now, pay later providers don't charge a direct interest on the amount that they're, they're loaning you or that they're, they're paying you up front, um, they've avoided those regulations. Though um, the, it's, it's kind of, you know, there's been an ongoing debate about whether they're credit or not, which is kind of a redundant debate. At the end of the day, it's providing money up front, so it essentially is credit. Um, but... Yeah, so the new government has come in and said that they will look at, at regulating them, which which has been a big change. I mean, I've been I've been writing about buy now pay later providers for you know over over a year now, and it's gone from kind of a 
a niche kind of sub area of reporting where there wasn't much interest and everyone kind of thought, you know, what's what's the harm and what, what's the problem with with these providers um, to an area where there is, is more recognition of the fact that there is harms, that, you know, people are getting into financial trouble, people are getting into debt traps and, you know, things like afterpay expanding into alcohol consumption so you can, you know, go to the pub and, and buy beers on buy now pay later and, and not not have to actually have the money up front and yeah I think there is more of a recognition in society more broadly that that, that is a problem and Australia is one of the highest countries in the world with, with personal debt levels so I don't know if um, more and more debt is really the solution. Well, that's an interesting part where, um, particularly when you're talking about alcohol, you know, if you can go into a bar and buy a beer for, for a quarter of the price and pay it off over the next couple of weeks, you're probably not thinking about it at that point in time, I suppose? Yeah, well, you, if, you're, if you're drunk, I mean, it's not really the time to be making long-term financial decisions, is it? Yeah, probably but... not, no. <laughs> I'm curious to know, um, uh, there seems to be like this window of opportunity for people to go in and kind of like shake down some cash and, you know, pump it up and then flip it or, you know, whatever they want to do. Um, do, do you have any thoughts either about buy now, pay later or even kind of the, the speed of kind of governments catching up to the, the speed of culture here and, and kind of having a say? Do, do you think that might even change with the, the incoming government or they've got no place doing this anyway and, and these businesses should just kind of figure themselves out and can take a, a light hand to regulation. Yeah, I mean, I think there, people do need some ways to smooth out, you know, transactions, say you're getting a big car bill or you're getting, um, you know, these unexpected bills come up, uh, unexpected purchases needed to be made. I mean, people will always find ways to look at different things. I mean... Credit cards are kind of out of fashion now, and and by now, payment is kind of taking its place. So I think there is always going to be a space for that in the market, but I think there needs to be strong regulations around that. There needs to be responsible lending checks. There needs to be um, insurities that people are not getting in over their heads, and and they are only taking out amounts that they can afford to repay. Yeah. Were you surprised, like sort of deep in the back channel, about um, getting you on about? I did not know that um, the default rates were up to 20 times that of credit card providers. Did, did that surprise you, if, if that's true? Yeah, so we, we've known from studies that around um, some, somewhere between 15 and eight and 20% of people have missed a payment on buy now, pay later. Um, so, and, and also correlating to those missing payments, we know that people are experiencing financial harm. So we know that some people will get meals before actually missing a payment and we know that people will take out loans, other loans to make, to meet their buy now pay later debts. So if you're, um, you know, Afterpay might say you only owe them $200 and from their perspective you haven't defaulted, but if you're taking out a payday loan to meet that repayment, you're getting yourself into a lot of trouble. So there's a lot of hidden harms here as well. Um, and there's a lot of potential for hidden harms. So I think when I started looking into this space, um, it wasn't something that I knew much about, but I don't know, nothing really surprises me now after reporting on this area for a while. Yeah. 
Um, and sort of looping back a, a little bit, like how how much do you think, because all of these companies kind of position themselves in this kind of fintech space, how much do you think them positioning themselves, or how much do you think the technology enables or kind of reduces friction for that, both the the access to that credit, but also like those those kind of defaulting trends? Is that something that's come up in your research as well? Um, yeah, I mean, these are slick, easily accessible apps. They provide you with a line of credit within minutes. So you can see how it's attractive to people, particularly when the alternative is, you know, something as old-fashioned as getting on the phone to your bank and having to talk them through your, um, you know, your spending habits and whatnot. Um, so you can see how this is attractive to people, um, and the technology does facilitate that. Though I think at the end of the day, you know, the the technology is kind of the, the, the front for what is it, the business model behind it. I mean, some providers, some by now payday providers are actually even payday loan companies that have rebranded themselves. So it's it's an interesting space. But I, yeah, I'm not sure how much the technology is driving it versus the the business model behind it. Do you think that the buy now, pay later model itself, the basic form of it, you know, pay something now, pay it off later, do you think that that will survive regulatory reform? Do you think that there are benefits to it, that it will have a future? Yeah, I think there will be, it will exist in some form or another. I mean, these big businesses we're talking about here, there was a story out today that Afterpay's CEOs and founders took home $260 million last year, making them the highest paid CEOs in the country. So these are big businesses. They're making lots of money. And I don't think these businesses are going to fold necessarily just because there's some more stringent regulatory frameworks and they have to actually check your ability to repay before um, giving out these loans. So, I mean, these companies are here to stay. It's a part of the economy now. It's a, it's a big part of the economy now. And I think they will be here to stay. But... Um, yeah, I don't think the regulatory is going to really end them, but, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, see how, what impact it will have. So if, if, I'm a, if I'm a, you know, one of our listeners, what, what should, how should people be approaching these, you know, either now or with the changes to regulatory frameworks? Like, what would your, be your advice for just our listeners in terms of, like, dealing with these pro- projects and dealing with these kind of companies? I think for anyone who's using Buy Now, Pay Later, it's just about being careful and, and not spending money that you can't afford, not spending money that you don't have, um, and not spending money that you probably otherwise wouldn't have spent. Um, yeah, you know, particularly, I mean, it's interesting, these companies market themselves as discretionary spending products, you know, for that luxury item you want to buy, that clothes or whatever thing it might be, but... We've found that increasingly people are using Buy Now, Pay Later for, um, you know, essentials, for food, for paying their electricity bills, for things like that. So those things are quite worrying. But So I think in terms of um, the discretionary spending side of things, it's about not not spending money that you don't have and not spending money you otherwise wouldn't. And um, if, if you're someone who's stuck in a situation where you're having to pay your electricity bill and buy now, pay later, I guess the advice would be to reach out to financial counsellors and, and seek help and assistance. 
Johnny, thank you for that. Uh, a timely kind of uh, look into to something that's kind of um, popped up like mushrooms everywhere. So um, thanks for, for taking time and, um, yeah, give us the down low. Triple R. We have Lily Paul Warren and Not So Silent producer Dan with us uh, tonight. Um, Mobile Muster is back. Um, long-time listeners of the show um, would know a little bit about this one, um, but there is still a job to be done. There are still phones walking around out there, looking like cows, waiting to be collected. Um, we're now joined on the show uh, by Chief Musterer, uh, Spiro Kalos. Spiro, thanks for taking time to have a chat to us. Good to be here. Thank you. Um, what is the job to be done? Where are these phones? Why, why are they hiding so well? Why can't we catch them? <laughs> Well, you know, the interesting thing is, um, as Australians, we love our technology and we're, we're certainly buying into the, uh, the new phones. Um, the, the issue is with those old ones, we tend to store them. So um, two of the biggest reasons why we do that is uh, just in case we need it as a backup. And the reality of, of it is that um, mobile phones these days are more robust than ever before. Um, we never go back to them. Um, but data seems to be the second most common reason that stops us from actually doing anything with them. Um, and that could be either reusing them by selling them or passing them on uh, or simply recycling them through programs like Mobile Muster when you no longer need them. So it seems weird that we'd be sitting on the mineral deposits of a small African country just because we're, we're kind of too lazy to do something about it. What, what, what's been the most effective thing to date um, for, for you folks sort of working on this? What, what do people respond to? There's a couple of um, ways that we sort of tackle the, the, the issue, and in recent times we've really tried to highlight the value in extending the life of these devices through reuse. Um, when you look at the impact of these um, mobile phones, is the biggest impact on the environment comes in the manufacturing process and, and also within the first 12 months of 12 months of usage. Um, so it is important that when we finished using them because we've bought a new phone, um, that we look at extending the life through um, selling them or reuse. Um, the other thing that we, we have used also is social causes. So um, the idea of recycling a phone and planting a tree, um, we've worked with Salvos, we've worked with um, Oz Harvest. And that stuff does actually resonate with people, and they look at it as a, a, an alternative way to get motivated and actually do something with those devices rather than storing them. Um, I'm really so. In 2019, you you launched um, the a national film competition. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly. It was it was the um, it was a, a film competition to engage um, students to get them thinking about um, not only the idea of recycling mobile phones, but the way we actually interact with them, the impacts. Um, through the, uh, the mining of the resources that go into the manufacturing, what those resources are used for, uh, and then the value in actually recycling them. And since 2019, we've had over 500 entries um, across the country from students of all ages. So we sort of continue that um, competition as a way of, um, you know, students are really the stewards of the planet uh, and the future of the planet. So I think it's important. And it's great to be able to um, implement this uh, competition and to get them thinking about the choices as consumers have in terms of the environment. Do the films have to be shot from a mobile phone? No, that's, that's the great thing about it is it's, uh, the, the challenge for these students is to make a one-minute film based on the theme, uh, and this year's theme is the science of recycling. So it definitely doesn't need to be shot on a mobile phone, um, although the technology is so advanced these days that shooting on a mobile phone is just as good as shooting it on a, uh, on a camera. 
Um, what sort of, like, you know, you've been running it for a couple of years. Like, what sort of, like, are there particular films that have stood out for you? That's the great thing about it is, and we've had students from all ages enter this competition, um, the variety of techniques that are shot either through animation, through the use of play, uh, through dance, through uh, music and rapping, um, even poetry. It, it's been really good to see the variety uh, of creativity that um, students have come up with, and that, that's what's made it really exciting for me. Do you show those uh, previous entries anywhere, uh, the winning ones? Are they, are they up online anywhere? We could go and look at them. Yeah, they are. So on our um, website, mobilemaster.com.au, we have all the previous winners over the last three years. Um, and it's a great way of actually uh, finding some inspiration uh, and, and looking at ways of getting creative and entering this year's competition. Interesting. I'm curious to know, um, uh, just just with the practice of, of um, picking up these phones, um, what, what have you found over the years? Like, I, I've probably got a couple of phones at home and I'm like, oh, I have to kind of like smash them and do this and do that and take this out and the memory and wipe them and all of that stuff. Um, it's probably not that complex, right? Like, you're pretty sensitive with uh, the phones that you get. Yeah, so we hear that all the time, um, that all of us seem to have one or two that we're, we're sort of, you know, stashing away in that bottom junk drawer. Um, the reality of it is um, the best time to think about removing, deleting, backing up that data is, is at the point of when you've actually upgraded it because you know how to use that phone, you've got the charger. The longer you leave it, you tend to lose the, the charger uh, or you can't power it up. I mean, through our recycling processes, um, we don't reuse or resell anything. Everything is recycled for resource recovery. So if there is data left on those devices, it's actually destroyed through the recycling process. Um, so, you know, in this day and age, data really shouldn't be the reason that's actually stopping us from um, taking that next step and recycling these phones. Um, that's, um, that, that's really interesting, that observation about the point of um, of kind of change, like connecting back to the... The kind of the, the film competition. Are there other behavioural behavioural sorry um, cues or like little nudges that we can sort of collectively and individually do that that you found in your work and your research? And it is. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a behavioural change. I think it's what we're seeing is a common theme, not just across mobile phones. And we, we did a, a, a recent research to look at what other products consumers are holding on to. Um, and sure, we're hearing that data is stopping us from doing it. But I, I think uh, the point you made earlier was is an element of laziness that it's just so easy. The, the devices are so small that we can actually shove them in the drawer and forget about them. Um, but there, there's two missed opportunities there. One is in extending the life of these devices and extending the use of the resources that go into making them. Um, the flip side to that is the dormant resources that we're actually sitting on, on uh, in our homes. Um, all electronics, regardless of their mobile phones, if they're your modems, your, your landline phones, are highly recyclable. I mean, you can achieve recycling and recovery rates of over 95%. Um, so it, it's about really taking some action. And one of the things that we find is the ability to actually drop off multiple items uh, in one location in terms of recycling is uh, 
a more effective way than you know taking your mobile phone to your local mobile phone store, taking your uh, modem to your, your local council drop-off site. So one of the things that we're looking at is how can we expand our program um, to make it easier to recycle multiple products rather than just a single product. Well, that was a question I had from earlier on. You were talking about charges. Do you collect the charges as well? And if so, do you have one for a Nokia 3310? Because I have a snake high score I need to get back to. Um, yeah, they're all highly recyclable. And from our perspective, yeah, we'll take the mobile phone, the batteries, chargers and accessories, anything that goes with the mobile phone. Um, you know, last year we collected and recycled 116 tonnes of mobile phones and accessories. About 20 tonnes of that was um, chargers themselves. So uh, certainly amongst that, there was probably a 30, 3310 charger in there. All right, well, I, I might have to hit you up for that afterwards. <laughs> but would you take, would, I mean, do you take Nokia 3310s? What kind of, you know, how old are we talking with mobile phones? We've had them for, you know, a few decades now. Yeah, I mean, the program started back in 1998, and it was the, the Nokia, the original Nokia, um, which was one of the founding members of the program. Um, and to that point, we're still getting them. And those phones that you're talking about are 2G technology. So the, mm. the, the network, the 2G network has been shut down ages ago, um, but we are still getting those phones coming through through the network, you know, the 3310s, the 3210s, the 8310s. Um, people are still holding on to those, and so we're definitely seeing them come through the network. That's how old this technology is that we're sitting on. Yeah, that's wild. Um, probably got some really good classic high scores in there, maybe even some world records, you would say. <laughs> Quite possible. And that's, that's the uh, interesting thing, that technology has changed so much. And when you think about, like to your point, you know, it, it was about making calls, sending a text message and playing um, a bit of snake. And you look at what phones can do today. Um, and this is why uh, there's this natural uh, progression in terms of updating our devices, because, mm. you know, we're doing a lot more on them. And you've got multiple products being aggregated into a single device. Um, no longer do you need to carry, you know, your camera, your music player and your phone. It's that phone does everything. And, and you know, it's not too far away where it will replace your house key and you, you wall it all together. Um, if people want to get involved in this, uh, where should they go? What, what can they do, Sparrow? Yeah, so mobilemaster.com.au. Um, there's a wealth of information around the film competition, uh, information on the theme, um, how to uh, enter the competition, but also the judging criteria that we use in terms of assessing um, who will be our, our top winners this year. Nice. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it sounds like a, um, a great way to, to get a, a new generation of musterers involved. Um, so, yeah, best of luck with it. For sure. Pleasure. Thank you for the support. Triple R. There is some stuff going on. Um, a bit of a plug here uh, from Laura uh, in the back channel. Um, Intopia GAD 2022 webinar, Ask Me Anything, um, uh, put together by uh, Tess Herbert. Um, Intopia is asking, hosting an Ask Me Anything webinar to coincide with Global Accessibility Awareness Day, uh, GAD, um, on 19th of May? No, I don't think that's right. But um, we'll figure out that date. Uh, the Ask Me Anything webinar is a chance for attendees to have their digital accessibility questions answered by a panel of our team members who all have first-hand experience in this area. Um, uh, some good guests there, so um, we'll figure out that date and, uh, and get back to you on that one. 
Um, but Lily, you got some game stuff as well, I think. Yeah. Um, so Abra Amcos are running High Score as part of Games Week this week, which is taking place in the first week of October. Um, but High Score, which is part of that, is the composition and sound art for Games Conference, two-day conference, live-streamed, keynotes, panels, sessions. Ooh. Yeah, should be really good. Um, so um, at the moment, uh, the main thing that you can do about that is sign up to get more of the updates as they're coming out, because October is still a little bit of a way away, although being 2022 and a blink and miss it and it'll be there um but games week itself is is rapidly approaching and uh you can find out more about games week overall gamesweek.melbourne they've got one of those fancy top level domains now um which is great um we'll tweet out the the link a little bit later to the high score sign up as well because it is a little longer to read out on air reliably what, what is Games Week if, if you've just kind of landed in Melbourne and you're looking for something to do? Yeah, Melbourne International Games Week has been going for, for a while now. Um, a week full of game-related conferences aimed at game developers. Um, there is um, the, well, high score, as I was talking about. There's PAX at the end of it. You've got GCAP in the middle. <laughs> it's all happening. It's, uh, it's really quite large, um, you know, event for all of the game developers around Australia, especially in Melbourne to come and gather. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't be uh, a show in 2022 without a casual tip of the, um, the uh, top hat to uh, Mr. Musk. To um, Mr. Musk. Uh, Im- impossible to escape this final, final piece of news, but um, Twitter are taking uh, taking the fight for Twitter um, to the courts. Um, the social media company filed a lawsuit um, against Elon Musk, who is... The world's richest man, for those of you forgotten, um, <laughs> effectively saying that he's refusing to honour his obligations, uh, to which Elon Musk tweeted, oh, the irony, lol. <laughs> Case closed. And I think no judge in the land <laughs> could, could commit. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, who didn't see this coming? Yeah. What a beautiful way to end the show. Thank you very much to our guests this evening, uh, Johnny and to Spiro. Um, and uh, thank you to our hosts and uh, our wonderful silent producer. It's been good to um, share a cup of peppermint tea from the Triple R kitchen uh, with you all. Um, talks producer Elizabeth McCarthy and podcaster Carrie Smythe. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts.